Kurt, so happy to be back at PBTX after last week off. Uh, how are you doing? How was your weekend? I'm good. I'm doing well. I went up to actually went up to the snow for a day uh, outside Southern California. Like the one, there's so much snow and a little too much snow in, in some areas. But able to go up, and uh, my daughter went skiing and kind of spent a day in the mountains, and uh, it was beautiful. So it was. It was just are you ski or snowboard? Uh, she skis. I ski as well. I did not that day, uh, just for some uh, long story logistical reasons that were going on. But uh, it was just being back up in the mountains and doing a little hiking and just being around the snow and uh, the crisp mountain air, like, mm. does me good. Yeah, it snowed yesterday. It flirted here in New York. And it's once again, it's just weird. It's like days you think, okay, spring, spring's here. And then it just flurries. Yeah. And it's freezing. I think it was yesterday. And I was just like, I can't. I can't do that. And today it's sunny. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on yeah. here. What have you been? I mean, obviously you were in Brooklyn for the A10 tournament, but you've been yeah, I was covering a lot of basketball recently, and so it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I, I think you know, as far as artistically, you know, I remember we talk about this all the time. What's inspiring me? What's inspiring me? Yeah. I I went to the opera and I was wrong. I, I remember I told you I thought that was my hot take that the opera would be brilliant. Remember this spring? Yeah. And I went and, and I went to the Met Opera. I saw Norma. I had to leave halfway through. I had to leave oh, halfway wow. through. It was so. I just couldn't do it. It was it was so disappointing and disheartening to me. Um, so I, I'm still I'm still not um, particularly inspired by by like a, I think anything right now, which is kind of sad. Um, it's a little sad. Oh, but the I opera, I was wrong. I was wrong about the opera. The uh, only the concert I went to, I guess I kind of forgot. We've done this for a couple couple weeks ago. Was uh, out here the New Orleans Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Uh, oh yeah, you like that band a lot. I, I do. So we had a look. Went out and had some uh, Cajun food beforehand. Then went and saw the New Orleans uh, Preservation Hall Jazz Band and had a, a, a great night. So can't can't complain. So let's get into basketball since we since we have a lot to talk about. So let's talk about the Grizzlies. There was um, a time in which the Grizzlies appeared to be the best team in the West. You know, or you could argue top two. You know, for a long time. And then now John Morant taking this leave, leave of absence, Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams out for the season. Where do they fall heading into the, the most critical part of the of the season, Kurt? Yeah, they, well, they started stumbling on the court when Stephen Adams went out, right? Like, they just missed the guy who does the dirty work, who, who sets the picks and is physical inside and provides I – mean, Brandon Clark can do some of that, but he's the guy who's the big body in the paint that's uh, – and allows Jaron Jackson Jr. to come in flying around uh, – just boxes guys out, who just does those kind of things. And they, you could see how much they missed him on the court. Now losing Brandon Clark for the season with the Achilles, and and now we'll see if and when Ja returns this season. But they do, with everything going on, haven't they felt like a team kind of in turmoil, a team that kind of lost its bearings? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with what I think about Memphis – they were a team in which I think they were – I didn't think they were contenders at any point, but I did think they were taking leaps forward, right? I did yeah. think they were growing as a team yeah. and going through the process. Because in the NBA, there, there is a process. You know, you kind of have to be bruised a little bit. You have to kind of go through each series, and, you know, you have to get beaten. Like, you know, um, that's kind of like how it works. So I thought that they were going through that process and becoming like, you know, purified in that sense of like going through the, the furnace and coming out like purified gold. And then this came up and, and this is, I think, indicative of um, one, I, I don't necessarily understand 
um, the Western Conference generally, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, I, and I, so I, I, and then too, I think with this team, it also is indicative of their youth, you know, and, and I think there's an elements of like, okay, well, you, you don't know what to be afraid of when you're young, Kurt, you know? Yeah. So I feel like at some point, like, I don't think they're, I don't think it's going to get to them like it would maybe some older teams. I think they still might be able to do a little bit of a push, but at the same time too, like you're not going to go very far without Morant, like no. period, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think two things I would say too also are a, I am glad that jaw is getting the help he needs. And I'm glad that the conversation kind of became, and especially around the Grizzlies themselves, it was not about punishment. It was about, Hey, how do we get this guy? to find the path he needs to be on. What kind of help can we provide? And he's now, you know, he's in a counseling center in Florida. Um, I don't know. And nobody really knows if and when we'll see him this season uh, or during the playoffs, but that's secondary, isn't it? Like what matters is him finding the path that's best for him going forward. Um, And by the way, I still think you were talking about them figuring themselves out and purifying and coming out that doesn't just have to happen in the playoffs. I think that there's something to them as an organization and as players where when you were saying that, the, the phrase that came to mind was a Pat Riley phrase, which is make the mm-hmm. most important thing the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> Focus on what – if you're going to be this basketball team, then make that the most important thing. And that seemed to get away from them. It gets away from Dylan Brooks, doesn't it? It seemed to get away from Ja. It, like They kind of – don't you feel like this could be part of that learning process? It's certainly part of the learning process. I, like I said, I, I think the team itself, you look at, okay, well, who's it built around the foundations? You know, do you have alignment from ownership, coach, GM, yeah. all the way down? Are role players buying into their roles? You look at Dylan Brooks, clearly he has bought into his role as a role player. Like he understands yeah. what his job is, you know? And, and I think from that perspective, you know, I'll give you an example. Like Bruce Bowen for the Spurs, remember? Like, you know, his, his whole thing was like a Kobe matchup. Right. Like we need someone to lock down Kobe. And he, you know, was that guy. He was a great defensive player and he was a knockdown three point shooter. So you so I understand like, okay, well, what's your role? What is P.J. Tucker's role on that championship Bucks team? You know, so I I, so I think that's hardening to see that it's encouraging. Right. When you look at the Memphis Grizzlies and like, okay, well, Desmond Bain understands his role. Jaron Jackson Jr. understands his role, you know, and Dylan Brooks understands his role. Not only understands it, there was a huge piece in ESPN where he like takes he relishes the ability to get on people's skin like he he relishes that role of being you know public enemy number one and and so i think those are all encouraging parts as far as like well how do you grow as a team but i i do think the youth part as far as like trying to start rivalries or like trying to you know like i I don't understand that part of it and that's kind of what i mean i think it detracts from like professionalism of like well what is our goal what's the most important thing it's you know it's to win a championship does that make sense yeah and I agree that with the the sort of manufactured, I guess, I mean, they did play the Warriors in a playoff series and the Warriors privately, by the time they got to the finals last year, were like, yeah, the Grizzlies were a real problem for us because of the athleticism. Just the, just, they're so much more athletic than the aging Warriors were that that they had been a problem. Um, With Dylan Brooks, by the way, I like the Bruce Bowen comparison, but I think you hit the nail on the head. And by the way, I, I hadn't really thought of him like a PJ Tucker, but it's sort of the same thing, right? If you're going to be the defensive stopper, you've got to be able to be good enough on offense that I can't ignore you. It, it was the problem 
uh, Matisse Thibel had with the 76ers last year, which is, yeah, he's a great defender. He's great. We need him on that end. If I can ignore him and play four on five on the other end, you're, I'm going to be able to slow you down. Bill Brooks has to get to a point where his shot is good enough, where he is enough of an offensive threat that I can't ignore him. Because right now I can. And that, that that's a holding. Like, those are the little steps. You don't have to be, like you said, don't have to be great at anything. If you can shoot 40% on corner threes and I can't leave you, that's enough, man. Yeah, or, or you have to be like the, the defensive player of the year, like Marcus Smart. You know, like yeah. you have to be a glue guy who's a defensive player of the year. I think Marcus yeah. Smart's another great guy, to, you know, as far as like, what is my role? You know, like you yeah. got to get like, you know, like, <laughs> you're like your, your job is not to score. Your job is to be a glue guy in the locker room, to be our emotional leader and support, and then, you know, to be a defensive player of the year. And and that's kind of, I think, like, that's what I love about the Grizzlies is that they, I think people understand very clear. It's like Ty, Tyus Jones understands his role. And I yeah. think you have young guys who buy into that. However, I do think that, um, I remember earlier in the season, I said they're kind of like a punk band. Remember, I was like, yeah. that, that's yeah. kind of what the Grizzlies are. And I, I do think, like I said, that gives them an edge because uh, they don't know what to be afraid of. But I also think that that hurts them tremendously because one of the problems with like punk bands, like, you you know, you grew up like liking. Punk oh, yeah. bands. It's like, you know, there this is a job and the season's really long. And like the whole point of the NBA is you have to be a professional, right? You have to have that edge, but you also have to be professional and you have to be able to, you know, bring some sort of consistency to the edge for the entire season through the playoffs. You can't, you know, peak and then dip and then peak. There has to be this element of consistency and controlled punkness, you know? And, and I don't, and like, I think that's kind of where the youth uh, is a little too far on the Grizzlies. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. I think they can learn a lot in these playoffs though. Cause I don't just look at the standings. I, they might slip below the Kings. The Kings are playing fantastic basketball right now, by the way, like the you're right. we talk about, it, but still the best, like my favorite story right. in the NBA this year. No, yeah, you were right. Yeah, I mean they're just a fun team. They're 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 not. Things are going to shake out for them. Like I suddenly I'm like the conference finals. Like if they get somebody they can beat in the first round, then they get the stumbling Grizzlies without John. Like it's a deeper run than I expected for them. Yeah, and that said, I don't want to. We're not going into deep into Kings talk, but the Kings are on such a high that I can and playing so well that I can see them getting the two seed. Um, over the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies, where they the cushion they've built up there, and and especially since the Suns are the four seed and they're missing Kevin Durant, um, and they're just treading water. I don't see anybody catching them. Like they're gonna, they're going to have a really good seed, and that gives them the doesn't that still give them the opportunity for the kind of run they're hoping for? Once again, I don't think they're going to go far without John Moran. I think he's the linchpin here. It's clear, you know, in my mind. I understand, you know, they a little over 500 me with him absent, but we're talking about a very small, you know, group of games, and we're also talking about know, the playoffs at a different level of intensity. So, you know, you need talent to win, and they need John Moran. However, you're right. I mean, look at right now they're sitting at 41 and 26. That's the record in the second spot. Kings 40 and 27. Suns 37 and 32, Warriors 36, 33, Clippers 36, 33, Timberwolves 35, 34, then Thunder 34, 35. So like everyone, and then the Mavs are right there, the Lakers are right there. Everyone's kind of stuck in the mid 30s. So you right. as of as of this morning, as of us recording this, because I had been writing on this this morning, four through thirteen is all separated by three games in the West. Like it's just it's insane how like just if you have a hot week and a half. Exactly. And that's kind of what I mean is it's that that's why I think Memphis is in a really bad spot because of that. Like, okay, if you tell me two or three teams are in that scenario, you have a hot week and a half, like, okay, what are the odds? 
But if you tell if you're telling me that the vast majority, over whatever 60, 70 percent of the conference, <laughs> and like they're they're in that group of if anyone, you know, if four through thirteen have a good week and a half, we're dropping. You know, like that to me is concerning because you're the likelihood of that happening. I think is you know it's it's much higher than in a different scenario. So that's kind of where I'm worried about the, the Grizzlies. You know, uh, but of course, you know, without Morant, they, I don't think they can really do anything in the playoffs. So yeah. it, that, that's the that's the big thing for me. I, I, will, you know. I will add this about the West. I think what's going to make the West playoffs fascinating, Corey, is the guys, the the, the players that scare you: Stephen Curry, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, um, Kevin Durant, sort of at four, but uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, all are in the bottom. Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, all in that bottom half of the bracket. Like yeah. it, it is you get that two or three seed, you have a potential real threat in the first round. Like it's, it's not like the, the guys with the playoff experience that we keep expecting to flip the switch are going to be on the bottom half of that bracket. And they're all guys and teams who know how to win on the road. It's going to make the West. It's going to make the West hard on teams like Memphis who are going to earn this home court, but then draw, they're going to draw somebody really good in the first round, regardless yeah. of where they land. Also, with the whole, I, I want to bring this up before we move on. You know, we, we're talking yeah. about how um, the the rivalries and all that jazz with with the Memphis Grizzlies. I, in my opinion, you know, do you remember those Spurs teams that played against the um, uh, uh, the Grizzlies? Actually, remember with with Marcus yeah. and Zach Randolph and Mike Conley and how it was like, yeah, what? the grit and grind Grizzlies. Yeah, and there was like always. I remember being a Spurs fan. I mean, my whole life, but at that time, it was so interesting because it was like. We're the number one seed, and this eight seed, like it's just a matchup issue, and like at any given moment, like they could kind of like knock us off, which was really frustrating. You know, that's kind of how I feel. Like that 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 Grizzly team reminded me of this Grizzlies team. But if you look at like the Warriors or whatever, like you mentioned, yeah. like there's a matchup issue here. We're like, well, what are you going to do with this? With they're so young, they're so athletic, they're so long, and uh, you know, John Moran is so clutch. At any given moment, you're like, okay, well, how do we how do we kind of handle them but i do think as constructed you know they're not a contender and but like i said john's john's like 23 you know so like they have time to figure it out but it is an interesting kind of question i think they have more talent than that team back in the day that other grizzlies team uh, but for me right now i think the grizzlies at this juncture basically only present issues as far as like a matchup in a series or two you know and and that I think is the ceiling at the current moment, which is it's difficult to say out loud, right? But in, in a West where you know four through thirteen is separated by three games, Kurt. I mean, it's like, like that's why I think they could eke out. You know, they yeah. can eke out, but it's not. But you won't match up against the Eastern Conference. Yeah, no, I I still think the top of the East is better. So while we're on the subject of bottom half of the t- of playoffs, let's flip. Let's go to Corey's jukebox because. The Clippers, one of those teams, is in Corey's jukebox this week. Yeah, so I, I wanted to go for an L.A. band. I've been – one of the things – I told you, the offer just wasn't doing it for me, and it isn't doing yeah. it for me. I wanted to go uh, into underground hip-hop. So I don't know if you follow underground hip-hop. I don't know if you're into that, Kurt. It's not there's my way L- yeah. <laughs> there's an L.A. band called People Under, People Under the Stairs, and uh, there's a song called The Breakdown. 
and I, I think it's a really interesting song one generally because it's you know la underground hip-hop and like if you're gonna talk about the la teams the clippers i guess are underground hip-hop yeah, they, they are compared to the, the, the I, i'm trying to think of the proper musical comparison but they'd be the the diva showstoppers that are the lakers right exactly so you know so in la basketball i guess the clippers are the underground and so I, I wanted to kind of, you know, do that. And then also with Kawhi, I think Kawhi is like, he's like the MF doom of the NBA, you know, like Kawhi is the guy who's like, he he's not, you know, the most mainstream dude in the sense that, you know, people don't talk about Kawhi every day, even though he's supremely talented. He's kind of like an underground hip hop legend in that sense. And, and I, I thought, so like with the breakdown, it's a whole song talking about like how, you know, they, they rap because like, you know, they have to and they love rap you know and it's not about the commercial part of it or whatever it's like it's just like a love letter to all the rap legends that they grew up listening to and how they're in love with the game and i feel like the clippers although i have my issues with the clippers i do feel like they are a group of like underground rap guys like you know batum just loves basketball you know what i'm saying like i, I just yeah. feel like like, the, like paul george just loves basketball like you know they have westbrook another guy who like he'll play basketball you know yeah. like anywhere anytime you know like same with Kawhi Leonard in the sense of like Kawhi is just kind of like about the game it seems like you know once again I have my issues with them but I will I have to tip my hat to them I think they're like the underground hip-hop team um of in the NBA that's actually a really interesting I a I like the analogy um and, and stick keeping in LA but I kind of like that analogy with the Clippers and I think that they I think that's isn't that what makes them a dangerous playoff team it's just a bunch of guys who like and love the game and love to hoop and like if they figure out how to get healthy and flip the switch yeah i mean like i said why leonard and and jimmy butler are also the two guys who are like you genuinely know there's like two more gears that they just don't even think about in the regular season that they can just shift into i mean i would put Kawhi on a way different level than jimmy butler i mean Kawhi is like i mean i like i said when this is all said and done I don't know where he finishes. I mean, like he is, I mean, he's so, so talented. And I think there are times when we just forget that because, you know, he doesn't play very much or, you know, like it's just, yeah. but and even when he plays, it's, it's still a, it's almost, I don't want to say robotic is the word I'm looking for, but he's like, he's going to get the ball and he's going to get to his spot at the elbow and he's going to hit the jumper and there's nothing you can do about it. He's too strong and too good to get there. And it just it feels so automatic that it's not it's not stuff from thirty five feet or or whatever you know highlight real thing. It's just almost methodical. That's what I'm saying. And I think once again, I think as far as underground hip hop guys are concerned, to me Kawhi Leonard is like MF Doom. Like he's just a dude who is surgical with his rhymes. He's a guy who's going to be you know a legend, like legends legend. Like like Kawhi was doing things you know. And I always think about this like with LeBron. You know when LeBron was thinking about going to LA. Remember when he wanted to win the, the yeah. title or become? I think I don't know the short list, but it was a very short list. He might be the only one on the list to win uh, with three different teams. Like in that scenario where I think he was like uh, to be like thirty. I forgot what age he was, but he wanted to be really young and and win with three different uh, teams. Um, you know, and I was thinking like Kawhi would and be finals MVP, right? With each yeah. of them. And I was like, Kawhi was finals MVP with the Spurs and won. Finals MVP with the Raptors and won. And if he goes to the, the LA and wins with the Clippers and yeah. he would be finals MVP, he would do what LeBron, he would do exactly what LeBron was been trying to do. But like he's 
whatever, six, eight years younger. And I was like, no one's talking about this. <laughs> I was like, this guy is like, he he's just like unbelievable. So to me, like, yeah, he's a quiet, like hip hop mastermind, which is why I did the underground reference. I like it. I like it. And then I, I was it the Knicks were the other one? Our, our, yeah. Our, so our, your, your hometown team now? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, I'm a Spurs fan. Um, but yeah, I live in New York. Uh, but yes, um, Julius Randle. This one, I think, is a little different. So I had to bring in um, Whiskey on a Sunday by the Dubliners. I don't know. If, are you interested in Irish folk I, music? I have listened to more Irish folk music than I care to admit. Yes. Yes, I, I too love Irish folk music. There was a period in my life when I like just listened to the Dubliners for a while. Uh, Great band. And I, so, yes, for me, this is one of my favorite songs by them. I think it's like a masterpiece. I think it's a great song. And the other thing is this song is about this guy who did a, who had a sideshow and he would just do the same little song over and over again. And then he ended up dying, you know, um, and like all the stuff like his, you know, the boards and the puppets he used for the sideshow ended up like going to mend the back door and everyone forgot about him. But then he could hear the ghosts, you know, like singing the song late, you know, uh, after he died. And it's just about like this guy who basically had milk every day, but then he had whiskey on a Sunday. So he was really excited, to, you know, for Sundays. Just super, you know, super the doubleers. And um, to me, that's kind of like Julius Randle. You know, like, I feel like the, the Knicks are good again. Yeah, they are. And, you know, they're good again. They're sitting in the fifth spot in the Eastern Conference. They're a playoff team. And this is a very competitive Eastern Conference. Yeah. That's yeah. So there, and I thought it was a flash in the plan. I didn't think they'd be able to sustain it. And, you know, I understand he had a great all-star season and then, you know, kind of dipped and then now he's kind of brought it back. You know, yeah. he's playing really well for them. And, and this team has matured. And Julius Randle is a guy, you know, I remember when he was in L.A., you know, going from the, where he was in L.A. to where he is now, like leaps and bounds better. Like every day, you know, every year it seems like he matures. And I think with New York fans, you know, because I don't I think he's going to end up being like that guy who like did the sideshow and like he's going to retire. Everyone's going to forget about him. And then they're going to remember you know, like the great Knicks teams or like the moments where they're like, oh, you know, remember we were a good playoff team and they'll finally give Julius Randle his due. But I think right now, um, I think people are still sleeping on him. So I, I, that's kind of what I mean. I, I think, does that make sense? I, I wanted to kind of bring no, I, in that I, little. I, I, I think that makes sense in the sense that he's part of the foundation that has turned this into a team where a star player would want to go now, which I don't think they were. Four, in fact, they, I don't think they were. They were not four years ago, right? Like, they couldn't get meetings with Kevin Durant and these guys. Now, I mean, they didn't get Kevin Durant, obviously, this time around. But, like, you'd have to think about it because if you're a star and you think, man, I could be additive there. If I go there and I'm playing with Jalen Brunson, and maybe it's Julius Randle has to go out in one of the – I don't – you know, who knows who this player is. I'm not going to – we're not going to spend time speculating about what player goes where. But – Maybe he goes out or maybe he's just the guy who helped, like you said, lay that foundation and then kind of gets forgotten about because Star X comes in to New York finally and and lifts them where they want to go. But he will have laid that foundation. I think that that's actually a really great analogy. Yeah. And then when they whenever that that time does come, when they're back in the finals or they ever do lift up a banner, you know, if, if you know, if they don't mess it up. And then I do think, you know, every time you talk about that, you're going to have to remember the foundation that Julius Randle laid in that team. And, you know, and his leadership and you're like I said, like, oh, you're going to kind of 
it's going to sing again. The ghost will sing again in that sense. But it, it's but at the moment, I think he's just kind of like brushed aside and, and people are kind of sleeping on him. And then, you know, so I think he's not going to get the, the recognition that he deserves in the current moment. But, you know, if the Knicks do turn the corner, um, yeah, I think the ghost will sing. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Brunson gets a lot of credit and and deservedly so. I don't know, don't get me wrong, but Randall's resurgence has been key this year. Yep, so that's 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 my jukebox. So now let's head over to Kurt's corner. What do you want to talk about, Kurt? I know you wanted to, to focus on uh, USA basketball, which is always a very exciting topic, especially as we just inch closer to the World Cup this August in yeah. the Philippines. Right, it's World Cup, and then. Uh, you know, we're a year out from 2024 in Paris and the Olympics. So, yeah, Grant Hill, the new head of USA Basketball, took over for Jerry Colangelo, met with reporters this week and, and talked about things and talked about how his philosophy and, and not only his philosophy, but also where the program is and where basketball is, has got to be different than it was, um, you know, when 2004, when I think, was it 2004? Well, yeah, 2004, after the, after the loss in the Olympics, when Colangelo and uh, Mike Krzyzewski kind of took over the program, one of the things they instituted was, hey, if you want to play in the Olympics, which is still here in the United States, that's still the, that's still the thing everybody wants, right? Everybody wants the gold medal on the resume. They want to be part of the dream team. Plus, just for pure marketing reasons, the Olympics draws – if, if you're trying to promote your brand, the you know your brand and your shoe, the Olympics are a better spot than the World Cup. It just is, right? So um, he's got one of the rules that they put in was you got to play in a World Cup. We got to have consistent, you know, consistency. You got to play in the World Cup before you can play in the Olympics. And we're going to do. Brent Hill's not doing it that way, and he's basically came out and said there's that the players aren't going to do it. Today's players would not commit to both part of that frankly is FIBA's fault because FIBA moved the world cup to one year before the Olympics and as an Olympic qualifier. Hmm. So if you want to be one of the, I think it's only 12 or 16, 12 teams that are, you, you were there 12 teams in the Olympics. Like it's, it's not like 32 teams go get, you have to go to the world cup in basketball, but it's only 12 in the Olympics. If I'm remembering the number, right. Um, They're using the world cup as a qualifier now. Uh, for the games. Um, but because they're back-to-back years in a rest and recovery world, you're not going to get Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Steph Curry or the, 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 the biggest stars who are still great contributors and might want to play in Olympics. They're not going to commit two straight summers to the program. They're not going to work out all through the summer, two years in a row. So he's kind of gotten away from it. He's going to, He's going to go with, hey, you know, we're, and there's no tryouts. We're going to pick the 12 players. He's been in conversations with people. If we're going to pick the 12 players and they're going to go to a training camp in Las Vegas and, and play against some younger stars, and we'll go from there. And uh, it was an interesting conversation. I mean, do you are you good with those kind of changes, Corey, or do you think it should be a little more traditional with tryouts and, and, and trying to develop that continuity? No, I don't like, I don't like it, but I do, I will say, I understand why, you know, I, um, I understand, I understand why this, I I think is, is, you know, being reflexive 
you know, to the type of players that are in the program, right? You know, you're catering at a certain point. If you're an organization, you have to, you know, cater to, you know, the people that yeah. work for you or, or partner with you. And I, I understand that this is the way to go forward in that sense. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that they'll be still good about, which is, or at least I hope so, is, hey, I'm going to go get – Let's let's go get five or six stars. Let's put John Morant in there for fun, and put um, you know maybe I, I, maybe Curry wants to go or or KD's always. I don't know if he'll keep playing. KD's been great on that stage. You can go get who name your superstars. You go get your your superstars, but they've been really good in the past about and I, like I know they've had Kevin conversations with Kevin Herter. Like hey, Kevin Herter's going to be great in the. You put him in an international setting where he can just bomb threes from a shorter line. He's going to destroy people like going in the USA basketball was smart about getting, Hey, we need a guy who can defend. We need like thinking through how the team would play internationally. We need stretch bigs. Kevin Love was, and, and Carmelo Anthony played that role for years. There's plenty of them now. Um, you've got to go find those guys, right? Yeah. Like, like I, I think from my perspective, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of old school in this sense that, you know, I think the recipe, the blueprint is, um, pick the best players and let them play and make it very competitive. Right. I think that's kind of the, I think that's the blueprint. However, if the best players don't want to play or if the, and this is kind of what I mean is I, I, you know, I understand, okay, maybe you give people like Keldon Johnson was on the Olympic team, you know, and like Zach, yeah. maybe you give them opportunities to JaVale McGee was on the Olympic team, you know, so maybe yeah. like, well, you know, we can open up the, the scope a little bit and allow, you know, uh, like you said, Kevin Herter to to pursue that Olympic dream, which is is cool. But like I said, I, I think ultimately, you know, what is the blueprint? I think they're getting away from the blueprint, but largely because these players are brands. Like that was how you started off this course, Curse Corner, is if you want to amplify your brand or sell your shoe. And I think that's not what the Olympics are about. One, and, no. about, and then the second thing I think is this idea of well, <laughs> if you are that big, you know, if you yeah. if you are that big of an enterprise, like you know, if you are a corporation. You know, it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I think that can almost be like, you know how you have like the institutional um, lethargy, you know, where you're like, oh, uh, it, you know, a gallery can do an art show in whatever, a couple months, but it takes a museum a few years just because it's the size of it. I think you're having that same issue with these guys where it's like you have to talk to the PR guys and the agents and the business partners. Then you do all, you know, and then the sponsors and then it's just like this whole, it's just a contingent. It's just like, well, we just want to play basketball, you know, yeah. like let's just play basketball. And, and, I, and so I think that is the issue that I have with getting too big. Uh, it's hard to just do the thing that, you know, got you there in the first place, but you just play basketball. Which is, I think why we get drawn to guys like Kevin Durant, right. Who just like, he just loves to hoop, right? Like he just loves to hoop. Like he's yeah. one of the guys who'll play. If, if Kevin Durant just showed up at Rucker's Rucker Park this summer, you'd be like, "Yeah, give him a chance to just show up at Rucker and play." Like it, yeah. it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be out of character. Yeah, and that's that, that's that's why I think is like my issue, and this is why I think the international guys they'll play, like you know, like you know, oh, yeah. they'll go overseas and they'll play for the national team, and they'll play all the way through the summers, and they'll come back, you know, in ready for basketball in shape and they'll like just hit the ground running and develop. But, you know, like, so the playing year round, getting back to like, well, you know, what is my job to be professional? You know, it's not necessarily to be an investor. It's not necessarily, you know, I'm not getting paid to be an investor or to be, you know, an activist or to be, you know, whatever is the thing that other people are interested in. I think, you know, it's great that you have a platform to do that. But as far as strictly basketball speaking, you know, I do think that getting too big 
can present you know a lot of obstacles and give that institutional authority and now the usa basketball team has to figure out like how do we combat that and not get into another scenario and be like the 1988 team kurt remember that got bronze yep. and ended up having to then reboot everything and then pick you know the guys and do the dream team like that that was not because oh we should get michael jordan to go play basketball it was we had to do that right like we got embarrassed on a world stage as a country remember this men's team they've won you know like you look at how many teams have won since the 1988. Yeah. Like it's like Argentina, right? Like it's like the only yeah, one. It's Argentina. The, the Manu Ginobili team was the was. It's the, the only one, yeah. right? So that's what I'm saying. Is like if, if if we get into a scenario where like you know the the team slips because everyone wants to be a brand, and then it's going to go back to we have to create a new dream team. I think that'd be an issue. And the margin is much smaller, even than it certainly when it was in 1988. I mean, France is good. Spain. <laughs> it took it took a lot for the U.S. to beat peak Spain a couple of years in a row, right? Like when they had both Gasols and Fernandez and Ricky Rubio was right, like all the guys they. Had, I mean, they and they were just deep with good players. France is that way now. You've got Luca in Slovenia. You've got. I mean, there's a bunch of uh, Serbia is really good with Yoga. Like there's just really good international teams. And if the U.S. The U.S. can't roll out the JV team and win the gold anymore. Like you better bring it, and I'm curious. Yeah, I think that that's this is part of that adjustment. I think this is Grant Hill saying this is what I've got to do to get guys. So I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I'm, I'm keeping a very close eye on it, Kurt. Well, you, 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 and I both we work at NBC. We'll be watching a lot of it, but then watching this uh, at the World Cup. But we should talk about where the passion is for the next couple of weeks. The NCAA tournament's coming up, man. March Madness. I know it's here. Do you have what, what did you fill out your bracket? What do you think? I have not filled out a full bracket yet. I kind of got to get to that today, I guess. Um, but I, I look, I'm wearing the UC. Oh, yeah. yeah. UC Santa Barbara gear today for, for the people watching on NBC Sports or YouTube and not on, uh, <laughs> not listening to this podcast. I am wearing my uh, quarter zip as a suburban dad. I'm required by law to have a lot of quarter zips. Um, <laughs> um, UCSB jacket uh, for my daughter who goes there, but we've been rooting for them all season because of them. And because I live near Long Beach state, I watch like big West basketball is kind of weirdly my escape. It is my, if I just want to go watch a game and have a beer and not have to think about writing out of it or talking to the coach afterward or all the, everything that comes with a, with the job of writing about the NBA that I love, but it is a job at times. Um, if I just want to have a beer and watch a game, I can go over to Long Beach State. And so I've watched a fair amount of Big West this year, and uh, this was the best team. Santa Barbara was the best team. It's not just that my daughter goes there and I'm now I'm kind of invested. They move the ball, they shoot, and Baylor is a bad defensive team. And uh, so that's a the Friday game. Uh, I think I want to say 1.30 Eastern. It might be 2.30. 1.30 or 2.30 uh, Eastern. This is a. This could be one of those matchups where Baylor is in for a little bit of a surprise because this team moves the ball, shoots the ball, brought back almost all their starters, has a guy who's going to play internationally, like and can get into the paint. Santa Barbara is going to be a problem for Baylor. So, uh, so anyway, I'm all in on Santa Barbara. Yeah, I, I think there are going to be a lot of interesting upsets on the men's side. I think the win, the men's side have been just so like it's kind of been. It's been hard to follow. I think the only two consistent teams have been the Houston, who now Marcus Sasser's injured, right? And then and then uh, Purdue. And so, like for me, like those are like the only two that have been really consistent all year long at the top. And then everyone else, like Alabama, I think is you know is surging. I think they'll make it to the Final Four. I think Kansas will make it to the Final Four. I think they'll probably repeat. And that's my personal opinion. 
but like all the other top teams, like, you know, I, I've seen enough teams this year be in the top 10 or 15, then drop out and then somehow get back into the top. It was, it's kind of been crazy, Kurt. So I do think there's going to be a lot of really great upsets. I think it's going to be a lot of madness this year, but my final four, you know, I, I think it's. I think Duke is actually going to uh, upset. Duke's good, yeah. Yeah, I think Duke is going to upset uh, Purdue because they're in the same quadrant. I think I, Duke's going to get not, as much as I. I from everybody's high on them. They're going to have the collegiate player of the year. I think Purdue's beatable. That's what I'm saying, I, and that's what I mean is that like it's kind of confusing a little bit men's basketball this year where I'm like I don't know like the two most consistent teams. I think I think Houston's very beatable right now. Obviously, you know, no, no, that's 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 by the way the betting favorite for people watching at home. Yeah, I mean, I think because Houston's in the same bracket as Texas and Texas A&M, and I think Texas is playing really well. Like, so I think Texas, I think a Texas team will get out of there, and I think it's going to be University of Texas. And like I said, I think Purdue is going to get upset by Duke, which is like peaking at the right moment, man. So, but for me, the women's side is not nearly as variable. For me, it's like coming second to South Carolina. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I they are such a wooden-esque type of juggernaut where you're like, I, I, it, you're looking for who can upset them. But, that, you know, hey, you're Iowa. Yeah, I mean, I was in the same quadrant as Stanford. And Stanford, I mean, they've, I think they've won two championships in the last three years. Yeah. You know, so you got to, I mean, they're, but they did get upset by UCLA in the, in the conference tournament. So, like, I do think Stanford is a little weak right now. I think Iowa is playing, out of, I mean, out of their mind. Uh, Caitlin Clark, you know, I think she yeah. had, I mean, her conference tournament was crazy. And I think that team, you're talking about returning stars from UCSB, like that team is deep. They're all yep. bets. And they've been through that kind of the ringer. I think that they could upset Stanford and end up going to the Final Four, but they're going to have to play against South Carolina. Uh, you know, and that's tough. And then on the other side, Virginia Tech, 11-game win streak. You know, they like, yeah. they look really great. Uh, Indiana is number one seed. You know, for, oh, So like, I think there's some, some teams that are interesting, but – no one, in my opinion, can beat South Carolina. I, I think UConn is going to get to the Final Four, um, despite all the injuries. I, I do think they'll do the same thing they did last year and somehow get to the championship game. Yeah, I still – I'm with you. Ultimately, I think the team that beats South Carolina is South Carolina. If they're, if, they're, if, they're, if, if they're playing well, I don't know who touches them. Yeah. So, anyway, that's, a, that's the bracketology by Kurt and Corey. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll that, see if we're right. We'll see if we're right. I mean, but anyways, Kurt, always a pleasure to talk basketball with you. If you want to know what Kurt and his team are up to, why don't you just go over to NBCSports.com slash NBA. It'll all be there for you. Kurt, looking forward to next week. Looking forward to it.